0: This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm.
1: Hi, this is Dr. Smallwood from Star Trek Enterprise.
2: You're listening to Trek FM.
0: How we doing, Trip? Ready when you are. Prepare for warp.
1: Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway.
2: Let's go.
0: Welcome, Boomers, to another episode of Warp Five Truck FM's dedicated Enterprise show. I'm your host, Floyd Dorsey, and I'm joined in the conference room by my co-host, Brandon Shea Matala. How you doing, Brandon?
2: I'm super busy right now, typing away and writing a whole bunch of really great episodes of Enterprise. Oh, can you hear me typing?
0: Yeah, I can. I see that. Um, so, what's what's the inspiration here? Why why you got your writer's cap going on?
2: Uh, because I'm a really good writer and. I don't know. I can't even make a good joke about it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we actually have a pro coming in here, so she might be able to tutor you a little bit. Uh, Really? Yes, we have a special guest on with us tonight. We're actually going to be joined by Phyllis Strong, executive story editor and writer and co-producer and all kinds of other executive titles on many many episodes of enterprise so i it, it's a real pro when i say we got your pro to help you out we've actually got a real pro
2: oh man that's absolutely outstanding that's excellent i'm so uh, i'm so glad that we have this chance to to talk with her because she's she did write a whole bunch of really really good episodes of star trek enterprise and even star trek voyager um so we got lots of interesting questions for her so why don't we beam her right on in
0: And joining Brandon and I here in the conference room is Star Trek executive story editor and writer Phyllis Strong. Welcome to Wart 5, Phyllis.
1: Thank you. Uh, Actually, I uh, was both an executive story editor and then uh, a co-producer, so uh, into producer, so I... uh, had a great run on uh, on Enterprise, and I'm excited to talk about it.
0: You you had a lot of hats, it sounds like, and you probably were wearing them all at the same time.
1: Yes, and I was flipping them around quite often.
0: Well, you've got a, you've got many writing credits for Star Trek, but you actually started in the sci fi genre working on Hercules. Is that right?
1: That is correct. Uh, although before it, my first break was actually in an action adventure syndicated show called Tales of the South Seas which was about uh, based on a Jack London story about a kind of pirate adventurer and his uh, native sidekick and their life uh, in Tahiti and South Pacific, et cetera, and all manner of stuff. So that was my first break. That's how I got into the WGA. Um, but actually before that, one of the ways I got noticed was the way many people who eventually landed on Star Trek or other places did, um, we wrote Star Trek spec scripts. And I wrote a spec Deep Space Nine. Um, and it was a, a powerful piece, I guess, about uh, uh, about uh, someone who'd been on a concentration camp, Bajor and, and all of that, and how we learned how this particular character had had, had sort of adopted the identity of someone else who had died and every, all the reverberations on, the, on the, the station. And that got the uh, notice of some agents. And at that time, you could submit specs to Star Trek that weren't represented and try to get uh, the opportunity to pitch. And as I recall, Hans Weimler on Deep Space Nine invited me in to pitch and that was one of my early experiences, and it was great. I did not sell anything, but it was my start and got me a little noticed, and then I wrote an X-Files spec, and then I landed on Miss Tales of the South Seas, and after that, as a matter of fact, I wrote some more stuff, including a Buffy the Vampire Slayer spec, and that was what got me the Hercules freelance because it was, Uh, It was supposed to be Hercules meets Dracula and they needed someone who knew about vampires. So that was my, my start there.
0: Wow. You mentioned X-Files. So we, uh, Brandon and I are both X-Files fans. So we, we, uh, you're, you're just even, we're even more fans of you now. Like we already (laughs) were fans of your Star Trek work.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Well, Once again, this was a spec X-Files. These were, you know, these are all things that writers, getting started and even now uh basically to both improve their craft and get noticed uh, you want to just keep writing and get stuff out there so x files uh was around at the time so and it certainly was popular and i was certainly into it so i gave that a try Um, but it so it was in this this time period and with hercules and and this Buffy spec that I did, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that I was also thinking about how I could pitch or get into Star Trek, uh, which was always the holy grail, as one can imagine. It turned out that in the last uh, for the last season of Voyager, uh, they were actually looking to add some story editors, and I actually had worked with. A terrific writer named Michael Sussman uh, on tales of the South Seas and we knew each other. And he had done a number of he had sold pitches and done episodes of Voyager. And we decided to join forces, actually because there was sort of one slot open, so it was that you know, rather than go up against each other, we were we joined forces, and that made us even more appealing. And we were given an audition script, which turned out, uh, which turned into the body and soul episode, the, the body switching episode for Voyager. And that's how we got on and did a year of that. And then during that time, uh, even though he was busy, uh, he was not running Voyager at the time and he had, Brandon Braga was working on what would become Enterprise and was in and around the same offices. And he would also consult, and actually had he had a story credit on one of our scripts, and we got to know him and work with him, and we were actually the first people to be asked to continue on to Enterprise for its maiden voyage, so to speak. That's how I landed on Enterprise.
2: You decided on working with Michael Sussman. So you said you met him on this uh, this what was the name of the show again? It was uh, Tales of the South Seas. Tales of so you decided to combine forces to write an episode of Voyager and you just discovered that you worked so well together that you continued to write together because most of your writing cre- credits on Star Trek are with Michael Sussman in one form or another.
1: That's correct. We uh, had a, a great partnership.
2: Um, I just want to take a second to say at this that uh, both Floyd and my favorite episode of Enterprise was actually written by you guys. Uh, my favorite episode of uh, Enterprise is Future Tense.
0: And I, mine is uh, Strange New World.
1: Oh, cool! That's excellent because Strange New World was our first episode on Enterprise.
0: Just talking about that, since we're talking, we're on a Strange New World. Um, were you given guidance, like where you said, let's let's go out here. Let's get. We need a story where they're discovering a planet, or was that just something that you and Mike just wanted to do?
1: That one actually was more of uh, a group, the, all of the writers, uh, we would gather in a room and talk about various ideas. And at that point, it was also coming out of talking about what kind of tone and what kind of series uh, Brennan wanted, and we could all contribute to. And one of the things that that he had wanted, and we had all talked about and discussed, was that, you know, here was a Star Trek um, series that was, was on a ship in our you know in our quadrant of the galaxy, so to speak, where we might run into people, uh, aliens, etc, that we had uh, known even from the original. And here we were a hundred years before Kirk and Spock, which meant not only the opportunity for some origin type stories and callbacks to things that were known in the Kirk and Spock time, but also, you know again, a sense of what kind of crew is this, and are they going to be are they going to get along in the same way that their descendants on uh, as Picard and the rest on uh, the future enterprise would get along, or were there going to be other kinds of conflicts? What was it to be in this hundred years before Kirk and Spock? along with that, this was our, fir- our first opportunity to be on a shipbound series, um, and again, one in which we might both visit places we had you know we as viewers had seen places and and uh, aliens uh, that, that we as viewers had seen but also that sense really that sense of the original series of to boldly go where no man has gone before sorry for this long-winded explanation but the idea of exploration the idea of just... Going out there and not knowing what you were going to run across—it was not a mission to a group of aliens who were going to, you know, negotiate a, a treaty from one place to another. It wasn't that there was some distress signal, etc. This was the pure delight of exploration, and that was something we talked about, and that became uh, in the room a uh, strange new world, and what would that be like? but essentially we would break the story, we would talk about various aspects plus our characters. But uh, So you get the bones together to some extent, but both the flesh and uh, even breaking and, re- and reforming the bones uh, was the, the job of the writers and that's what we did. So the inspiration was really that wonderful sense of awe and wonder of being out there and how exciting that would be and you know the scene where uh the ship has come to this planet the first one what is it going to be like um who's going down there uh and of course being a drama things go horribly horribly awry (laughs) but um uh, that was the sense of it so um i'm delighted it's your uh one of your favorites because uh in impulse and in what it what it really set out to do in terms of tone, um, it, it really captured one of the original sort of original series original Star Trek precepts, and uh, I'm glad you picked up on that.
0: Well, I, I can I I just love love your explanation on that because that's exactly what I pick up on that, especially with the like season one and two being kind of a future for us and we're exploring and like this is something that we could actually do, like we could actually get to there. But yeah, the um uh, I was just <laughs> I actually got started being a Star Trek fan by watching the series with my grandparents when I was young. It was in the uh the original series reruns back in the mid 70s. And one of the first episodes I can remember is Shore Leave. So, it just so happens that I just saw Shore Leave last night. I just I just saw Shore Leave last night, and it reminds, and it reminds me of Strange New World. You know the the beginning of Strange New World in the way that is, and you know running running through the fields and being on an alien planet. But my grandparents actually lived in the mountains, at like the foot of a mountain in the woods and things. So when I was a little boy, I would play around their house and sometimes I'd play Star Trek. You know, and this is this is exploring a strange new world, and that was and that the campfire scene and all of that. Oh my gosh. It just, it takes me back. So that that was awesome.
1: Great. That is great. Like I said, that sort of started off. Um, As far as future tense, that was much more in the, in the vein of uh, our temporal cold war and our sort of larger uh, kind of fight the future, if you will, series of episodes, much more, uh, I wouldn't say exactly X Files but just sort of that sense that there is stuff going on and agendas happening, you know, beyond uh, what you can see on the surface. And uh, that was as well as, as kind of hitting some of the fun of, uh, you know, what happens when with time shifts and things like that. But uh, very much part of this Cold War aspect you know again that was our much more of our jeopardy starting from even the pilot but really digging down deeper in season
2: 2 one of the great things about future tense for me uh the first episode of warp 5 this podcast that I was on we actually did a commentary for future tense and we went, we went through <laughs> it and i was actually talking about how much i loved it and and we named the episode uh, of our podcast we called it this episode screams prequel because there's so many things in it that I really think made it fire on all cylinders. And, and it was a kind of a perfect prequel episode because, you know, right from the beginning when they open up that, that ship and they see the dead body in there and they ask, they're like, is this Seth from Cochrane? Bang. Instantly I'm thinking of the episode metamorphosis and you get the, you get the Tholians in there and instantly you're thinking of the Tholian web. Right. And you know, so many things in that, it was perfect.
1: Yes. And I, I will have to do the hat tip to Mike Sussman. Uh, in terms of sort of grabbing those what well, I was as he was a huge original series fan and I knew all of this but he had a particular skill in kind of running wouldn't it be cool if we saw this and wow I was just thinking about Cochrane for here um, and I'd be like yeah and what about this so really hat tip to him especially on future tense I think uh, if, if one were to ask about the the sort of the Origin and the inspirations for that. It really was taking the idea of both time travel and immortality and all of that, and grafting that onto our series.
0: That's Warp Five Ninety Two. If you want to listen to us gushing about your episode there, because oh, great! We did a full commentary track on it. it was so much fun.
1: Oh, that is great. I, I will admit that it's been a while since I've seen some of these. Unfortunately my life, all lives of writers, not only do you have to keep writing, you have to keep being on top of everything else that's going on out there. So the the luxury of going back and, and taking these all in, it, it's something I haven't indulged in, but you have now encouraged me to go do that. <laughs> um, so I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. Yes,
0: yes.
2: I have uh, one more question on future tense. So this is this is me fangirling it out uh, since I got you on the line here. Um, so, all right, did you in your head? It never came on screen, but did you guys envision a story for this dead guy that they found in the ship in future tense?
1: Not one that actually stuck with me. Knowing us, we did but i think as we barreled through we kind of of left that behind so hey hate to disappoint you on that one that's okay But it's not at the forefront <laughs> that's okay. so so fangirl fan girl fan guy on something else and i'll let you know
0: <laughs> oh, well that we'll probably do an episode about that anyway cuz we do a lot of what ifs and writers room episodes so we'll we'll just we'll fill that blank
1: <laughs> oh that would be great that would be great and maybe it'll actually prompt my memory and i'll go oh yeah To tell you the truth, I do have all, in notebooks, I have all of, not only our shooting scripts and the various revisions and stuff it went through, but all of of the rough drafts and the first pieces. So I could probably go back into my feature tense binder and see what I got there. Mm -hmm. Um, But we don't have the time right now.
2: Well, we have our first listener question here. Uh, This comes from a listener named Akaku Beeman. And his question is, what's the process like writing a script with Mike Sussman versus writing alone? Would you split up different acts or scenes or would one of you write a full draft and then another would take an editorial pass over it?
1: We would uh, split the script generally into various scenes that might be one storyline versus another. And we would write at, write and then rewrite each other. There were times when we actually, if we were on a tough scene or not, we might be in the room trying to go over it, but lots of writers, when they write together, it really means, it is a very sort of individual thing. So most of us take it on ourselves and then shoot it over for uh, reconfiguring a notes and or rewriting. So we were both comfortable with having each of us comment and rewrite the other. So that's pretty much how it happened.
0: Were you a Star Trek fan? You said that you liked all the series. Were you a a fan before you started working for Voyager? Or what series got you started?
1: Reruns of the original. Absolutely the original. You are talking to a Kirk, Spock, McCoy. Uh, There was a point, I don't want to be tested right now, but there was a point at which I knew... Every episode, the name of it, what was going on in it. If you described an episode, I'd tell you what it was. If you gave me a title, I would describe the episode. I knew deep and far. I had, when I was young and watching these reruns, there were also sometimes the opportunity to, you know, buy those photo stills and like buttons and stuff. And I remember somebody telling me, and I was very upset about this, but it made perfect sense, that. Uh, as you know, we were watching syndicated reruns. Uh, I was in New York and watching it on Channel 11, probably Channel 11, and it turns out that, of course, these were originally 52-minute episodes. Which, and by the way, I you know own them all uh, on Blu-ray. But the local stations, when they ran them, they didn't. They wanted more time for commercials. You know, I think back then it was down from 52 to 48. We're not even down to the 42 that, you know, a CW show or most shows are now. And it turns out they would slice them, you know, edit them. And they would take those pieces of film and make photos out of them to sell. That's where they came from. Wow. Wow. How's that for trivia? So
0: I just got another show idea. We get, we bring Phyllis back on and we grill her on original series trivia. You know, we, we give you a little bit of time.
1: You'd have to let me get back into it. I, I am. I'm very good at it, but uh, but not quite as good. I, before I started writing, really getting into the writing seriously, I worked on a one of my first jobs sort of producing or doing anything in this business was working on a science fiction TV special for Fox. It was uh, done in conjunction with, the, with what's now the Paley Center, the Museum of TV and Radio. And it was a, basically a massive clip show. And they would do a clip show for each broadcast network based on the network's prime focus. So CBS would do sitcoms and stuff because of the Isle of Lucy and all their stuff. And anyway, and it would rotate each year. And for Fox, they were doing a sci-fi one. And through a connection, I met the exec producer on it, and literally, uh, I was the only person who really knew like Star Trek, Twilight Zone, all of the X Files, all of this stuff. And they uh, basically hired me on as like uh, a PA or something. And then I kept demonstrating what I could do, and they made me a right. A pr- they gave me a producer credit and zero <laughs> money. But that was oh my gosh. Uh, when I first uh, was getting into all of this. And the, the great thing about it was that. It being for the Museum of TV and Radio, we had access to every studio. They all gave, nobody held back. Paramount, Universal, we had Quantum Leap, you name it. Everybody gave in, and it was great. And one of the experts we talked to was Mark Altman. From there, I got to know him. And I will say that at least at that time, I could definitely hold my own with him, which is saying a lot. <laughs>
2: So what does the title executive story editor mean, and how does it differ from story editor?
1: That is simple. Executive story editor is one bump up from story editor. It's one of those things, you know how like, if they, uh, you know, in the world of vice presidents, then there's a senior vice president, and then an executive vice president, it's a whole bunch of, of words and titles to sort of differentiate the, um, the level. Um, but they actually do have meaning in terms of what you're uh, role and responsibilities are. Um, entry level is a staff writer and then one becomes a story editor. So that's pretty entry level. And really your basic function is to come up with ideas and to outline, to participate in the room and structuring and getting into the stories and then into being able to produce a good enough draft of a script. It doesn't have to be perfect that the higher ups can take and give you notes on or take over and, and run with depending on the needs of the show. And of course, our really tight, uh, timeframes and schedules. So that's, that's the answer there.
0: So just going, going back to the uh, individual episodes here, um, civilization was a uh, listed on your credits. And, uh, again, going back to the original series fan that I am and the, the cop, the, you know, the, the, Captain Kirk and the Spock and the uh, Doctor McCoy. Uh, Civilization reminded me quite a bit of an original series episode.
1: Thank you on that. Actually, I have a um, uh, what writers would do at times is we sort of frame uh, screen captures from the from the series, so it, which has like the name of the series and maybe uh, an episode, or and certainly a picture of. Uh, your credit there to kind of show the world and look out. And I'm literally looking at that. I, had, I picked civilization for that because it really was not only it was one of my favorites in conception and we can talk about kind of how it was executed and maybe how it, choices were made you know down the line in terms of, of how it might look, et cetera, but really it was inspired by the original Kirk. And a lot of that and the playfulness, is really what I've brought to the table, you know, especially sort of the romantic playfulness. You need a woman for that. I will put that out right here.
0: <laughs> very good, very good. Another episode on the on the list that I have here was Fusion, and I I can say the first time that I saw Fusion, I was wow, I was blown away. Like that's deep and real, and that's that's one of those great. Star Trek vehicles, you know, where we're we're telling something from now and we're putting it in Star Trek right here. What was the inspiration on that or what what was the message that we were trying to get out there for that?
1: Well, the message is about sort of violation and abuse, if you will, and, and all of those lines that get crossed or don't. You will note that the story was by Rick Berman and Brian and Braga. So what Mike and I brought to it was the execution and the outlining of it. And, and well, actually, the outlining of it, the story, that's, that's the story. We basically brought the scenes to life. And I do remember that I really, the T'Pol scenes in that, I both struggled over and they were very powerful. And when you're writing something like that, it can kind of stay with you. So that was a a definite um, uh, intense
0: experience. It is when you're watching it too. I mean, it's even now, even on rewatches, and I don't know how many times I've rewatched the series completely from beginning to end. It's still cringe worthy, which is is a good thing because I mean, it's, it's making you feel something. It makes you think about, you know, like applying this to our world right now. And it's, it's, it's very, uh, it's moving moving not, maybe not in a crying way, but in in just all kinds of ways. I mean, it's just, it's a moving episode.
1: No, I I completely agree. And it's emotional. uh, And Jolene did really did a great job. I mean, think about it, how you basically play an emotional story as a Vulcan, you know, hats off to her along with Leonard Nimoy and, uh, and everything. And every other Tubac, every other, Vulcan actor who had to play a Vulcan, um, but really to have one of these kinds of episodes, right up there with the challenge of doing uh, originally an Amok time or this side of paradise, where you know how do you communicate feeling when you are suppressing feelings? Uh, and I I also do remember we had a lot, lot of talk about It always I think it comes up in every series. I would imagine when you talk about what it really means for Vulcans to be Uh, logical or not to have emotion? Does it mean they not have it? Do they suppress it? Where does it go? How does that work? And this episode, if memory serves, sparked a bunch of those questions in the room.
0: And then we have, uh, you know, the creepy Vulcan guy. I can't remember his name, the actor's name right now, but he did such a good job. (laughs) He did such a good job of playing that creepy character. I know. So, looking at your list here of uh, episodes that you co-wrote or you you supported, uh, you had Body and Soul, Prophecy, Author, Author, and Renaissance Man on Voyager. And then on Enterprise, you had Strange New World, Civilization, Shadows of Pajem, Fusion, Detained, Dead Stop, The Catwalk, Future Tense, Regeneration, Bounty, Exile, and Damage. I... I have to say we posted your list of episodes on our uh, Facebook group, the Babel conference. That's actually the name of our Trek FM listeners group. Oh, cool. And people were looking at that. Like that is an, um, that is an awesome rewatch list right there. You know, just go down the line, just pop them in Netflix or DVD, Blu-ray it is a great rewatch list. Like you have some great, great episodes. Uh, one of them that you had here was dead stop. And that is, that's another great episode that I like a lot. And I actually had Dead Stop in mind when there was a a past Warp 5 episode. I can't remember the name of it. But uh, Christopher Jones, he's the publisher of Trek FM. He was actually hosting Warp 5 at the time, and I was just a listener. And the show was about uh, what were some possible movie ideas if Enterprise had been made into a movie. Right. And Dead Stop was the inspiration. It would have been like the space seed for the Wrath of Khan version of it. And that was, that was something that I had an idea for was those guys, we have to come back to those guys because the way it actually ended. So that episode, I I just love it. I love it for the mystery of it. Did you have any ideas to actually come back and revisit that?
1: It came out so well that afterwards we always kept in the back of our mind, you know, where it could go and what we might want to do. But really, it's funny because it was sort of conceived as, you know, again, we were episodic and uh, standalone episodes, and yet this was the one, this was when we were starting to get into a little more serialized, and this was really running after Minefield. So, and it really was our run and jump and go through tubes. It was our action uh, episode. So, uh that was really sort of the fun and adventure of it. We, we, we actually, we always thought how a, de- a Dead Stop 2 would be great. I do remember that. So, hats off to you. I think you got it.
2: So, just as a reader of the novels and stuff, just so that you know, Phyllis, um, they've actually taken that storyline and, and run with it in the novels for ah, a- after Okay. I,
1: yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. To- there you go. Because
2: I'm a reader of the novels as well. Yeah.
1: That's great. Well, whoever wrote that novel, you know, took it and ran with it, I assume, in the best way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It lent itself to that. Who wrote it?
2: Christopher L. Bennett.
1: Great. Then, actually, I'd love to take a look.
2: Yeah, the series of novels is called The Rise of the Federation. It takes place, they, they wrote a bunch of books about the Romulan War, and so these are the ones that are after the Romulan War. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's pretty, pretty interesting. Cool. Um, so I had a question about the episode Detained. When that episode was being conceived, did you guys know that you wanted to have Dean Stockwell in that episode, or did that come after the fact?
1: That came after the fact. I, I'd love to say that we had created it for him, but you could never count on getting somebody of Dean's stature and his schedule, etc. And once again, he came on, obviously, because he was interested in working with Scott again. So this was much more of a case of in terms of schedule and in terms of some of the things that were offered to him, that's what he liked the best, uh, I believe. I, and I can easily be corrected if, if, if he or anyone, he, you know, anyone who's more familiar with this, again, I wasn't, I, I wasn't in on all the casting and the other stuff. So somebody may know better. But as far as I know, this was something he was delighted to do, was offered to him. It, it fit a schedule, um, and it fit something he could do. Mm-hmm. It was a thrill, a thrill to have him on set.
2: Like that episode in itself is so it's so poignant, and it's so important, even in this day and age, you know, with with there's so much fear of refugees and people coming into our countries and stuff, that even now this episode is very important, and
0: everybody should be watching this episode.
1: Yeah. I'm I, And unfortunately, it, it resonates more than we ever intended it to.
0: Another episode that we have on the list, I would be, if I didn't mention this, is Damage. Uh, Damage from season three. Um, it's actually regarded as one of the favorite episodes of all of our listeners, our Warp 5 listeners. Like when it's mentioned on in our Babel conference, people love that episode. They jump into it. They think that's one of the top three, top five, best episodes, maybe, of Star Trek.
2: And it's one of the ones that they're very sad that we never got a follow-up on to find out, you know, for Archer's reaction and what he did in that episode.
1: No kidding. I believe I probably fought or wanted to fight for that. It was always the case of you know, we're going in this direction, we need to move forward, not necessarily go back, or we need to jump to other things. I am so heartened to hear you say that because that is probably my favorite episode of maybe all of the produced episodes I've ever written. And it was something that was inspired by what I find a theme in in my work in writing, which is that moral dilemma of, you know, what would you do for the greater good? And how much would you sacrifice and what does it do to you? So I cannot tell you, you have made my night.
0: Excellent. We've actually had warp five episodes, uh, in the, like the past year or so that, uh, some of them we were, we were debating what that would look like. You know, like what would the, the trial of Jonathan Archer look like? You know, I think we may have done some what ifs if, what if, um, Casey Biggs character, uh, what if he didn't make it home, you know? And then that right. and that civilization or that species shows back up in season four, season five, and they want, they want to put Archer on trial. And we end up with like court martial, you know, something like cart martial from season, from original season. Uh,
1: and if we're talking court martial in the original, yes, I am. I am fully down on that, you know? And once again, this was, This was a slightly darker version. This was really a not perfect people and in my mind this was to me a direct line back to the original series and to that kind of moral dilemma and along the lines of what a Captain Kirk would be feeling not only in what he does but as he wanders the ship in naked time or something, you know how what he has given up and the loneliness of space, remember if you remember that whole scene. Yes. I think that was Part of my background when I was doing it, you know, just, just that sense. And I think Scott Bakula gave an amazing, amazing performance in this.
0: Out of the episodes that we've, we've been discussing and there's just the the whole list that you have. I mean, you just told us what your favorite is or probably one of your favorites and listener, listener, Justin Oser actually had that. He wanted to know like out of all the episodes that you've written, which is your favorite is, are we going to have damage at the top? Like what's your, what, what do you think maybe your top three or do you not want, is it like, is it like picking out your favorite child or what, what, what
1: is that? As a caveat, I will say that, you know, you can have favorites for different reasons and different things. And, uh, also that can be, it can be colored by how you envisioned it versus how it came out, et cetera. So a uh, damage is definitely between conception executed and the kind of deep moral dilemma type theme, that is my favorite theme. And so that does make it to my favorite episode. Uh, In terms of the others, I love so many of them. And you've mentioned a a number of them here. I will say that I really liked the the sort of the evolution of the Archer to Paul relationship. And therefore, for that reason, Shadows of Pajam is, is one of my favorites. That that real bringing together uh, of them for for the first time and that expression of friendship attachment you know once again my touchstones are the kinds of emotions we got in the original series and to me shadows of pajem gave me I hope gave other people that as well that's probably that that and civilization were probably eh, to, t- I mean, I, I swear it is hard to, to, to choose between <laughs> them when you start thinking about the details, like, Oh, I love that part. You know, that was great.
0: Maybe this would be, be easier for you to answer, uh, which episode that you, you wrote surprised you the most for good or bad when it actually showed up on the screen, as opposed to what it looked like on the paper?
1: Oh, that's, that's a good, that's a good one. I think actually. Fusion was one that surprised me in that it it sort of got the depth that we were going for. And that's not always easy to achieve.
0: So was it, it was a, in a good way. It surprised you in a good way.
1: Yes. In a good way. In a, in a good way. I'm not sure I I would really go into the ones that surprised me in a bad way because <laughs> there were so many, so many, so many things go into the execution. So many different things that, you know, uh, not to go into specifics, but sometimes a costume decision was, you know not one i ever envisioned or sometimes a casting decision was just not what i originally envisioned so there would be some of those disappointments but once again those things got outweighed by other performances by the direction by by many many things i will say that i that dead stop also turned out to be it cut together really well it it, it had that energy when you're doing something more action oriented you don't always see it Maybe you see it on the page, but you don't always see it as it's produced. And then, especially in editing, it comes together and you go, yes.
0: So we have another uh, listener question. This also comes from Akaku Beeman. And he asked, which Enterprise character was easiest to write for or which was most difficult to write for? So wh- what would stand out to you? What, do you? what would you think?
1: I think that's a really good question I'm going through in my mind. What one might define as making a character easy to write for is that there's such a strong sense of personality and consistency in them that, you know, you just know who they are, what they're going to say in any situation. I'd say the two of those that were easiest were probably Trip and Dr. Flock. There just was their way of responding and what they got into. Even if we hadn't conceived as much at the beginning of of Trip's backstory and and stuff that happened with the Zindi attack. All of that and his journey made perfect sense and and was easy and rewarding to actually plot out as well as to write scenes for. And I would say probably for most people, Vulcans, in this case to Paul, can be the hardest to write because you are trying to thread the needle between logic and not showing emotion and the not having, which is isn't true, or the repressed emotion, which is. So that can be the hardest. All those. How do you do it without saying?
0: Right. That does that actually make a lot of sense. It would be very difficult to write for a Vulcan character, and even for a Vulcan act, an actor to be acting in that would be difficult.
1: Yeah, And like I said, Jolene really and and she's so. Came into her own and with the character, you know, as the episodes and seasons progressed.
0: Phyllis, what's uh, what are some of your latest projects or something that maybe our listeners might could uh, look for, or maybe a sneak peek that you might have for us?
1: Great. Well, actually, I love sci-fi and I also love period pieces, and ironically, they are similar to write in the sense that you are world building, and I love to build worlds, whether they are from our past. Or a certain time, or whether they're from from the future and things we've conceived of. And interestingly, writers I worked with on Enterprise, Andrea Maria Jacques Matan, ended up working and producing uh, working on and producing Mad Men for a number of years. And one of the reasons they were selected was because if they could write, you know, a Star Trek world, then they could certainly write the world of the '60s. So in that vein. I have a a new project that's out there. I don't want to go into too much detail, but it is uh, my version of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. It's a series based on a real stage robber and a robber baron and Mark Twain is a character and it's pretty damn terrific and people are looking at it right now. So I'm really hoping to bring it to your screens at some point.
2: So, if Mark Twain is a character in this story, then it takes place in Star Trek continuity because we had Mark Twain in Time Zero Part One and Two.
1: We sure did, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and I would be happy to do the novelized or uh, you know version of that at any any way, shape, and time. I would be happy to have any version of Star Trek land in uh, in the 1860s. In this case, this is a young Mark Twain, so even better. <laughs>
2: Excellent. How can our listeners follow you on social media?
1: I am on Twitter at Philly Strong, P H Y L L Y S T R O N G. Sometimes my friends call me Philly or something, and sometimes they don't. And it was uh, what I could get on Twitter, so that's the best way. And I go back and forth on that depending on how busy I am, and that's probably the best way. So say hello to me there, and I'm I'm eager to say hello back.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on Warp
2: 5, Phyllis. Just before we say goodbye, is there any other stories you'd like to share about working in the business?
1: Somewhere between the great stories and the horror stories and and everything in between. I will say that when you find a group, uh, a crew and a set of actors and a set of producers and writers that are as great as they were on Star Trek, you stick with them. And, And a lot of the fun comes from all the interstitial pieces from the uh, Halloween costumes that people will wear, despite the fact they're already in costume, you know, at, at a Halloween party, sort of the birthday parties, as they would do, there were always these little bits. Oh, and the best parts were some great dailies, which I'm sure have now evaporated, but uh, some great scenes when, you know, after when the camera's still rolling, but the scene has been cut and people are doing everything from little tap dances to, you know, their facial reactions onto what they just said or how they did. It really is kind of a magical world. And I, I hope everyone who's listening to me gets to experience something like that at some point. We have a great live tweeting and all that stuff is great now, but being there is also terrific.
0: Well, thank you so much, Phyllis, for coming on Warp 5. Uh, we'd love to have you again sometime. This, this was wonderful. Thank well, you so much.
1: I, I would love to, and, and I'd love to hear more about damage. So please let me know.
2: Well, we're actually going through our season three retrospective, so maybe we can
0: invite you on when we get
2: to damage.
1: That would be. I would love that. Excellent.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> we're pit- okay, so we we need to have her for the retrospective. We need to have her for the drill, Phyllis, or the the stump, Phyllis. There you go. And then, and then, the, and then, the professional writers' Okay, I
1: I I I'm planning on coming back two more times. One to <laughs> one to geek out on the original, and one to bathe and exalt in. Uh, recapping damage because i would
0: love to do that well definitely damage that would be awesome because that's a great episode all right well thank you so much phyllis for coming aboard
1: you're welcome and take care guys and thanks again
0: all right brandon that was great that was a great interview uh were you just totally geeking out like i was at, while she was talking about our favorite episodes
2: I believe I used the term fangirl at one time.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure you said it more than once actually. So, <laughs> uh, you had her saying it even. So that's 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 a good deal. Oh man, I seriously, like reading the list of the episodes that she was a part of the creative process on is it's just an amazing watch list. So, uh, that was awesome.
2: That was great. What was really awesome is that, you know, she was able to recollect so much about it. Uh, you know, it's been 15 or 16 years since she's worked on Enterprise, right, in some of these episodes. But, I mean, you know, she knew a lot of the stories right off the top of her head, which was pretty awesome.
0: Right. Yeah. And then, I mean, we're taking advantage of that because we do rewatches and things, and she's saying that she's never even had the chance to do a rewatch. So that mm-hmm. that's even more impressive because she's just thinking of it off the top of her head. So, yeah, that's that's really really cool so the i'm serious like i already call phyllis for the writer's room b- battle or whatever we got going on <laughs> you know i'm i'm already, i'm hiding behind her when it comes time for that if that's if we're gonna have a throwdown okay
2: okay well then i i get uh i get tucker smallwood and i get uh manny Cotto and Uh-oh. i get eric pierpointe
0: uh oh. Okay. Well, I'm I'm a little scared, but not so scared because I'm still hiding behind Phyllis on that. Okay. So um but yeah, <laughs> she said that she was going to come back for damage. So War5 yes. listeners, hang on. Buckle up. Wow. We're going to see if we can pull that. We're going to we'll see if we can have her back on to talk about damage. That will be awesome during the re- season 3 retrospective. I'm looking forward to that. So Enterprise Show Riders is not the only people we've been talking to on Trek FM this week. So here's what else you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. I open up the garbage bag and I see this like red tunic, like this top and like, wait, this looks really familiar.
2: So I try it all on, I try on all the wardrobe, everything fits great. And I look at myself in the mirror, I'm like, holy bleep. And I turned to the wardrobe supervisor. I said,
0: is this Star Trek that I'm working on? To the journey! Leola is a substitute for any ingredient he doesn't have. No sugar. Leola root. <laughs> yeah. No bananas. Leola root. No coffee. Leola, Leola, Leola root. <laughs> Saturday morning Trek. Roddenberry uh, was very involved with first episode and for that episode we needed to come up with the derelict spaceship and as a result as the brand new guy on the on the crew (laughs) who had spaceships and stuff in his uh, portfolio i got the job of coming up with that ship stage nine a podcast about the people who make star trek
2: I mean, obviously, you have Nicholas Meyer writing for your Star Trek show. Is yeah. there any way that they're not going to be like, hey, Nick, you want to direct an episode? Because, I mean, like, would they, I mean, I cannot see any scenario in which they'd be like, I don't know, man. I don't know if he's right for this gig. And
0: that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite core of the Star Trek universe. You can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, or or you can go to the website and grab the MP3 file or the RSS link. If you're an Apple user, please hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for listeners to find us. And while you're there, you can leave us a review and a star rating, and that helps increase our visibility to other listeners and really helps us grow the show. And also, just another recap... We had our Blu-ray Warp 5 review contest over the past year, and we announced the new winner. The winner is Stronger Than z So Stronger Than z contact me. Leave a message in one of the show posts on Facebook. I have a whole set seasoned one, two, three, and 4 Blu-rays that I want to send your way. Thank you so much for your reviews, and thank everyone for leaving reviews for us, and thank you for listening to Warp 5. Another way you can help us is keep all of our coming shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash f m that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash f m you can see all of our goals and milestones. And for just as little as one dollar a month, you can help out our network tremendously. If all of our listeners just gave one dollar to let keep truck fm coming to you, That would help us out so much. And if you increase it to $5 a month, you get access to the Patron Zone. And Brandon is the Patron Zone Manager. So Brandon, tell us what's going on in the Patron Zone.
2: Oh, we've got lots of early accesses, uh, episodes for you guys to listen to. So you get them a couple of days early. And we have some really cool exclusive content, some commentaries, and some little deleted scenes from episodes and little short clips of uh, small episodes that people have created for you guys, the patrons.
0: And if you want to step up to $15 a month, you actually get access to the patrons round table. And that's actually where I got my start. And Brandon, that's where you got your start. Right. Also, right. You
2: bet. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And almost a lot of our current hosts right now in Trek FM actually started by contributing to the network on Patreon.com and participating in the patrons roundtable. It can be a lot of fun for just $15 a month you get to actually sit and talk to other Trek FM fans and Trek FM hosts. So if you want to see what it's like to be a podcaster, you can sample it right there with the patrons Roundtable. And of course, if you go to $25 a month, we can get you a associate producer credit on your favorite show. So in speaking of associate producers, I'd like to thank our work five associate producers, Mike Morrison and Tim Cooper. Thank you so much for supporting Warp 5 and Trek FM. Also, like to thank t- Tony Robinson for creating the very cool show art for our Warp 5 episodes. And Brandon Shea, you've got the engineering all handled with the editing and publishing of Warp 5. So, thank you so much. Yeah, you're very welcome. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us at trek.fm/slash contact. Look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com/slash Trek FM and leave us a voicemail. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, Facebook at facebook.com/trekfm, and as we've mentioned several times in this episode, the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference B A B E L into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. So, wow, Brandon, I this is awesome. This was great to get to talk to the person that actually wrote our favorite episodes. that, that was that was pretty that's a highlight right there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, And you ask her about the f- the guy in the pod, and she didn't really have something for us, which actually that just opens up a whole new Warp 5 episode for us, right? That means
2: I have to write the the prequel story for the dead guy on, on that. I'm okay with that.
0: Or what we can do is, like we said, we can bring Phyllis back <laughs> and do the writer's room, and we'll get that story written down. Yeah, there you go. I mean, you're already practicing your writing skills over there in the corner, you know, earlier. So, we can just continue, continue hear me right on. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so Brandon, when you're not s- just slaving over a typewriter trying to impress uh, Phyllis Strong with your showwriting ability, uh, how can our listeners get in touch with you?
2: You can find me on Twitter at Brandon Matella, and every once in a while, I poke my head up in the Babel conference. Where can people find you, Floyd, when you're not sitting around a campfire? <laughs>
0: You can find me in the Babel Conference, also Trek.fm's listeners page on Facebook. So Boomers, thank you for listening and join us again next time for another episode of Warp 5.